You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week, we're spending a single morning in the book of Proverbs as part of our New Year's service. With this week's message, here's senior pastor Lance Bourgeois. So if I were to ask you to think with me about the difference between knowledge and wisdom, you probably have some thoughts. Or maybe some of you that are saying, I kind of get confused between those things. I think about one example that comes to mind so often. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting a tomato in a fruit salad, right? Who wants that? And yet I think, well, I've never been tempted to do that. So I need to think in more realistic terms for me. I think about, you've maybe heard people talk about love languages and the ways that people hear and process love. I think about those loved ones in my life. If, if what they really want is quality time for them to know that I value them and I just keep giving them gifts, they may know that I love them, but it may not land knowledge, wisdom. I think about a cell phone A cell phone, knowledge says that that phone is there to connect me with others. Wisdom says sometimes it gets in the way of connecting me with others because I can be tied to it so closely. See, we've got all these examples around us. Maybe even more pressing than that is the reality that in my marriage, Ellen and I can laugh at each other. We can laugh with each other about ourselves. Wisdom is knowing that if I make a joke at her expense right here, right now, on video, she wouldn't laugh, right? See, knowledge and wisdom, they don't always go together. How do we take that? Knowledge is taking in information and having information. Wisdom is the successful application or the skillful art of applying knowledge into a certain situation that helps us live more wisely, more effectively, more successfully. This morning, as we kick off the year, this doesn't happen very often. It happens on average every eight or so years that we would have a Sunday fall on New Year's. And so as we gather this morning, thought what a better way for us to think about how we want to step into this year. So I invite you to turn in your copy of Scripture to Proverbs chapter 1. Not all of Proverbs is written by Solomon. Most of it is written by Solomon. The part that we're going to look at today was written by Solomon. And as we come into this, we want to look at and think through what is it that we need to understand? Because we're going to look at how he sets up the book of Proverbs in chapter 1, and then we're going to move over to chapter 9. Because after he outlines what the purpose of Proverbs is in chapter 1, then we're going to jump over to chapter 9 where he's going to say, so here's the opportunity. You've got a decision to make. I've got a decision to make. Because he's going to talk about two different feasts. We can have the feast of wisdom or the feast of foolishness, and it's going to affect our mindset because our mindset is going to determine which feast we choose because as we sit here today, we're going to say, well, give me the feast of wisdom. Who says give me the feast of foolishness? And yet what we're going to hear is your mindset's going to determine which feast you sit down with. So Proverbs chapter 1, if you would look at that with me, we begin with the idea that we've got the foundation of how Proverbs is going to work. Chapter 1, verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple knowledge and discretion to the youth, 
Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, when we come to Proverbs, we need to understand that what we're learning and what we're processing here are not promises necessarily. They're things that seem to be true across time and across culture. Now, think with me about how varied times have been throughout humanity. Think with me about how varied cultures are across humanity. And these truisms that Solomon has provided for us are to teach us how to move into that. And so let's begin with the idea that if we look back at the passage, that he tells us the purpose of Proverbs is that we would be trained in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. He wants to train us in that. These aren't things that we just naturally have. We're lacking these things. So the question is, how do we step into that? Because if we want that training in wise behavior, part of what we're going to see is that it wants to produce a moral skill a means to help you and I assimilate wisdom through skillful living rather than trial and error. Now, I recognize as we look across this room, and I will confess that this is true of me, how many of us were the people that said, you know what, my parents told me the stove was hot, but I will only really know that it's hot if I touch it. Because somehow it felt like the good life, the abundant life was on top of that stove, right? And why are you trying to keep me from touching the stove? That's everything I've ever wanted in this world. And then you put your hand up there. Part of what Scripture wants to get, tell me is if I can bypass some of the hurdles and the roadblocks and potholes of this life, wouldn't you and I want to do that? Because it wants to produce a moral skill in us that we can grow, that we can come to this book and we can understand it and we can study it and the Lord and the Holy Spirit can lead us into wisdom that produces a moral skill that we don't have to learn everything the hard way. It also wants to teach us mental skill that we could begin to train our mind to think critically and analytically, that we take every thought captive, that we can lean into these things that Scripture wants to speak into so that we can step into that having thought through and processed things. We have a God who's recorded the Scriptures for us. He's omniscient. He knows everything. You and I are not omniscient. We do not know everything. Even the acknowledgement of that is a good first step for some of us, right? Right? So it wants to do that. But it also wants to lead us into righteousness, that we would learn how to act in accordance with God's character. Is that we would have, not only that this knowledge would lead into wisdom, but it would change the way that we act. Because the goal from the beginning isn't for us to just amass more knowledge, that we could win Bible trivia games. The goal is that we would amass more knowledge, that we might live more skillfully, morally, mentally, that it produces actions within us that align with God's character so that we actually go out in this world and represent him well. And as we do that, we will bring justice into this world, that we begin to act in accordance with the heavenly pattern or plan in earthly affairs, is that we take what's true and we carry that into the world. When people start talking about justice and we think, I don't understand what justice is, maybe this definition helps you is that we would live out the reality of the heavenly pattern and plan that God has established, and we live that out on this earth. I think about all the time when you and I think about justice. If somebody has inherent worth and value as somebody who is an image bearer of God, 
then anytime we see that being diminished in, the, in another person, somebody is talking down to, looks down, they do not get treated as an equal, somebody has worth and value, that is a lack of justice. Therefore, justice is the act of living out the reality of those truths in this world, that every person matters. Every person has value. And we get the privilege of living that out. There's an equity in the way we do it, that we act in an upright manner that is direct and straightforward. We can be taken at our word. We're not somebody who's trying to deceive. We're not trying to find the loophole. We're not talking in such a way that we can't be trusted. I know that it's true that I shouldn't lie. Wisdom dictates that I might actually do more than just not lie and allow myself to deceive people, that I might be straightforward in who I am so that I can be counted on and depended upon as a man or a woman of my word. Look back at the Scriptures because he's told us this is what the goal is, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing Morally, mentally, righteousness, justice, and equity. Well, who's he writing to? He tells us. He's addressing the simple, the youthful, and the wise. Now, there's a question there for each of us in this room. Are we the simple, are we the youthful, are we the wise? Well, the simple is defined according to the Hebrew word that he uses there as someone without direction, somebody who needs to have a plan and a chart to be successful in life. You could be sitting here today and saying, you know what, I don't really know where I'm going. I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what it looks like. I'm so scared about tomorrow. We're not talking about age here. We're talking about somebody that says, I don't know how to move forward. I've been there. I can be there today. Maybe you can too. And what we see is that Proverbs says, if you're here without direction, this is the place to come. This is the book. There's, there's not a slam here. It's not an attack on you. It's the opportunity. You're lacking a plan to how to move forward. Come to the Scriptures. That's the invitation. And then he turns around and says, for the youth, it's the one without experience who will learn from the experiences of the teachers to choose the right goals, plan, and priorities to succeed in life. It's using the idea that this is a person who lacks experience. And so this person who lacks experience goes to somebody who has experience and says, hey, how can you help me move into this in a way that I can be successful in that? And whatever it looks like, right? If you're young, you may say, help me think through how I go to school this way. How do I study this? Maybe I need to look at what's after high school. What do I need to do? You've been there. Help me. Now I'm thinking about starting a career. What do I need to know about my career? Maybe you're thinking, I need to start a family. How do I start a family? Maybe you're thinking, I want to become an empty nester. How do I do empty nesting well? Maybe you're going to become a grandparent. And you say, I don't know anything about being a grandparent. Is that we find ourselves, when we lack experience, finding somebody else who's already in that next role and saying, hey, teach me. Scriptures want to do it. We've got a lot of folks in our church that would love to do that with you as well. Is that we would learn how to do that. Takes a level of humility, right? Hey, I'm lacking the experience I need to do this in a right way. Or the wise, one who will invest himself or herself in the lifelong study of managing life well. The wise. Now, even if you said, well, I'm not really the simple one, or maybe you said, I'm not really the youth one, you recognize Proverbs is still speaking to you because Proverbs says we never outgrow this because the wise person is the one who recognizes 
there's always more to learn. There's always a step to step in and say, hey, you know what? I could use more input here. I need more instruction. I need more of what this book has to offer. We never, ever outgrow this reality. See what he's trying to do? See how broadly he swings the net? It captures every one of us. So the question then is, what does he want to do? Well, the basis for skillful living. We look down, if you look back down with me at 1-7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Come to this. Here's the beginning. It's the starting point. This is where you begin. It's the foundation for building a life. And be remiss if we didn't begin the year and say, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Because the foundation for everything that this book is going to point us to, the foundation for wisdom, the foundation for knowledge is the idea that we begin with the fact that there is a God in heaven and he is the one who's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's our creator. He's a sustainer. He's the one who loves you. He's the all-powerful, omnipotent God. He's omnipresent. He's with you everywhere you go. The starting point for understanding how to build a life begins with him and his great love for you that in our sin and in our rebellion of saying, God, I'll do it myself. I know better than you. We put ourselves in the place of God and it drove a wedge between us and the true God. And the price of that was death. Scripture makes that really clear. The gift is this, is that the son, Jesus Christ, came to earth and lived a life, and he never rebelled against God. He submitted to the Lord. He was holy. He was righteous, so he could go to the cross and pay a penalty for you and me because he didn't have a penalty to pay for himself. He never sinned. He was sinless. Then he walked out of that tomb on day three, having conquered death and offering you and me life. If you're here today and you don't know him, the invitation is for you to consider the gift that the Lord wants to offer you. And if you want to talk more about it, find one of our folks, leadership, that has one of those lanyards on. We would love to visit with you. What a great way to start 2023. The beginning, the starting point for building a life begins with knowing who God is. And then all of a sudden, we can have knowledge where we can assimilate truth. We can begin to take in truth, and that produces godly character when we begin to live it. But know this, and this is where it begins to get a little more touchy, right? Fools. Fools will despise wisdom, the need for change, or the discipline to change their character. When we come to this book, Proverbs, the whole book, the question for you and me is this, are we receptive? Are we teachable? If I were to ask each and every person in this room, hey, tell me, do you think you know everything? I don't think a certain, any person in this room would say yes. And if you don't know everything, then why would we despise wisdom? Somebody's going to offer us something that could help us do life better as a man or as a woman, as a husband, as a wife, as a son or a daughter or a mom or a dad or an employee, as an employer. I don't know everything. So how do I take in information? Well, I could be arrogant. I could be foolish and say, no, 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 no. You keep your wisdom to yourself. I'm not interested. Or you could say, you know what? This is the path I'm on. There's no need for change. I lack the capacity to change. I'm on my course. I'm just going to stick it out. I'm all in on doing it the wrong way. What foolishness. So why would we not do it? Turn over with me, if you would, to chapter 9 of Proverbs. 
Because if we move into this, we're going to see that there is this decision that we have to make between two different feasts and two different mindsets. And he's going to lay those out for us in such a way that we're going to see where we fall. Now, you and I may say, well, I don't see it quite as clearly. I think we're going to see it when we get to the mindsets. And the question will be, which feast are you, where are you sitting? At which table? And again, I'll say it. I, I think most of us would say, you know what? Give me the feast of wisdom, right? Well, we're going to see the fruit of which table we sit at. And so with that said, let's look at the feast of wisdom so we can begin to see what he wants to tell us, okay? This feast is seen as a complete meal where that naive person, that person that lacks experience can come in and be seated, okay? Look with me if you would at chapter 9, verse 1. Wisdom has built her house, personified as a female who is inviting people in. She's built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She's mixed her wine. She's set her table. She sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. Now, let's stop a second, and because there's a lot of metaphor, obviously, in all of this. So if we're going to follow it, I don't want us to get too far behind that we're missing. See, houses typically had three pillars, and yet they would tell you that the, so the number of pillars was dictated by the size of the house, obviously. This is a big house. There's seven pillars. Scripture sees seven as an as act of completion or perfection. Her house is perfect. It's large. You and I might say, well, I can't accommodate that number of people at my house. Her house is large enough, and it can accomplish and accommodate all of us. There's an open invitation for everybody who is here. There's a seat for everyone. Her home is perfect. Her food has been prepared. She slaughtered her beef. There's meat. There's mixed wine. Wine was always served at meals. Mixed wine. You've added flavors to it. It is a luxury. This is no pizza buffet. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But make no mistake, this is a fine meal. This is required preparations. This takes time. When you and I think about what it looks like to get that Thanksgiving meal or that Christmas meal, and it requires organization, right? You've got an oven that needs to be at four different temperatures for four different periods of time, and you and I are trying to figure out how do we make it all work so it all comes to the table at the same time. This feast that wisdom is offering is a meticulous feast. It is incredibly well done. It's filled with Spices is extravagant. Every detail has been attended to. Now, I will say this. Culturally at the time, read this from one commentator that writes this. In traditional societies, part of the price of power is the duty to dispense lavish and frequent hospitality on the scale befitting one's rank. If you had the resources, it was your job to throw the party. And if you had the resources and you were throwing the party, you throw it lavishly. That's what wisdom has done. Wisdom has said, I've got all the resources. I have what you need. Come into my house and be seated and let me feed you and encourage you. See who's invited? All of these people, verse 4. Whoever is simple, that one who lacks experience, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I've mixed and leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. There's the invitation. Wisdom has created this feast. There's a seat for you at the table. It is a big house. It's extravagant. Preparations are there. This doesn't come easily. It has to be learned. It's gained with experience. 
And the invitation is to anybody lacking experience, say, hey, come in. Come in and listen and engage this because you know what? You have an opportunity to leave those simple ways behind you. You can step into experience. You can step into wisdom. You can step out of just having knowledge and you can begin to live with a skill that has been lacking in your life. What an invitation. What an incredible invitation. Because we've all been there, right? And it looks like this where you and I sit around and go, I do not know what I'm going to do about this. I have no idea. I don't know how I get out of this. I don't know how I step into this. I don't know how I step into this conversation I need to have. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how this all works out. Invitation is, hey, come and be seated at the table. Okay? So that's the first invitation. That's the first feast. But you come to this mindset that we're going to have to face. Look with me, if you would, at verse 7. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not, do not reprove a scoffer or he will, ha- he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight, for by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you're wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. You want to sit at the feast of wisdom or the feast of foolishness? See, nobody in this, in their right mind would say, give me the feast of foolishness. The ticket that punches gets punched for which feast we go to is right here. Because the thing is, you don't correct a scoffer, you don't reprove a wicked man. Do you seek wisdom? Because in the arrogance of the scoffer, in the arrogance and the sin of that one who is wicked, they end up hurting the other person. And Scripture makes it clear. Don't keep throwing wisdom out to those kind of people. You know who pays the price? Not the fool, but you. And there comes a time where the invitation is to step away. You want to know what ticket you're punching? I would ask you to consider this. How receptive are you to the thoughts, the ideas, first of all, to the Lord, to the scriptures, to those other people that are in your life who are godly men and women. Because if you're not receptive, your ticket's already been punched to the feast that you will attend. I don't like that feast. (laughs) Okay, there's a better way. Because the second half of it says, give instruction to a wise man and he will still be wiser. It doesn't even say that you have to be unwise. No, A wise person takes in more information, takes in more wisdom, and guess what the fruit is? They become more wise. See, this has to do with how teachable we are, how humble we are. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. Okay? Why is that significant? Because none of us arrive. None of us arrive at at all wisdom. We know that. You know that. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. The question is, how receptive are you? How teachable are you that you would allow more to come in, that we'd learn how to sit and process these things? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is insight. 
For by me, by what? Wisdom, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. You want to live more skillfully? It's going to add years. It's going to add experience because it keeps you from foolish decisions. See, all of a sudden, we begin to see this, this taking root. Verse 12, and this may get some amens. In a world that doesn't seem to want to take on personal responsibility, if you're wise, you're wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. You know, if you find yourself at the feast of foolishness, you made the choice to go there by being arrogant, by not allowing other people to speak in, not allowing this word to speak in, not allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you. You bear that. You become a scoffer, you bear that. Why are you at that feast? The invitation is still to come to this feast. It's just going to require a different mindset. You know what? Maybe I don't know everything. Maybe I need what the Lord wants to offer me, either through the Scriptures, through the Holy Spirit's leading, or through His people. I don't know everything. So you know what? I've been at this table, but it's time for me to move to this table because this table doesn't work. So I'm choosing a different path. If you're wise, be wise for yourself. You know who gets the benefit of being wise? You do. Now, everybody around you will benefit from it too, but that's secondary. You begin to live more skillfully. You begin to live out this life that the Lord's calling you to. You begin to live out righteousness and justice and equity. You begin to have that moral skill and that mental skill that allows you to live life and thrive in the midst of a broken world. But you represent God everywhere you go as part of his righteousness. What an opportunity. What an invitation. So what do we do with the Feast of Folly? Because the feast will invite that same naive person. Look at how she does it. Look at verse 13. The woman, folly, is loud. She's seductive. She knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes seat at the highest places of town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever's simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So it's a complete parody of wisdom, isn't it? I mean, you couldn't be further away. This isn't put together. No, she's loud. She's obnoxious. She's trying to entice and draw in herself, but she knows nothing. She sits in the door of her house. She's positioned herself in a place where the people are walking by. And she's just calling out to them, hey, come on in. Come on in. I got what you want. She takes her seat on the highest places in town. She's prominent. And let me tell you, our world is falling for this hook, line, and sinker. All the prominent places. You want to go to Hollywood? You want to go to Washington? You want to go anywhere else where you have prominent leaders? Go anywhere. And foolishness, folly is calling in such seductive terms that she says, come on, I can give you what you want. Verse 15, calling to those who pass by who, who are going straight. They were going straight. They started off in the right path. They're going straight. And there she sits in her doorway and says, hey, come on. And all of a sudden, like, what? And off they go. They were going straight. They're making good decisions. So let's be really clear. Having a track record of making a lot of great decisions does not guarantee that your next decision will be great. Doesn't guarantee it. 
You could be going straight, making, you could have 50 years of wise decision-making, humble, sitting at the Feast of Wisdom. You could just be going down the street, walking on your way, and there folly sits, seductive and loud, and said, hey, come on. You can say, whoop, and off you go. There's too many stories like that. You know them, and I know them. There's not a guarantee that we stay straight. Now, I want you to look at something here, if you would. If you can see these where they're on the same opening of your Bible, I want you to look at the invitation to that the foolish person gives. Look at verse 16, and look over at verse 4, okay? Chapter 9, 4, chapter 9, verse 16. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. It's the same invitation. It's the exact same invitation. What are they offering? Wisdom says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I've mixed. I've put in work. I've put in experience. I've gone the extra mile to provide you something of value, of significance. That's wisdom. Look at verse 17. This is what foolish. Stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. You know, in chapter 5, it talks about drinking of your own, from your own fountain. It's talking about faithfulness and fidelity to your commitments. Make no mistake, foolishness is saying stolen water is sweet. Leave the fidelity behind. It's about you. You just go get your water wherever you can get your water. It doesn't matter where it comes from. That's foolishness. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. You don't know where it came from, right? Not stolen. There's no value in that. Just go hide your deeds in the dark. That's what foolishness says. Oh, nobody else has to know. That's what foolishness says. Look, look over at verse 6. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Leave that simpleness behind and walk in wisdom that you may live. That's the invitation, that you and I may live. Verse 18. But the person that goes to foolishness doesn't know that the dead are there. The feast of folly ends in death for all of her guests. You know, this book right here is God's letter to us, has everything we need pertaining to life and godliness, everything that's here to teach us, to encourage us, to rebuke us, to reprove us, to correct us, to train us. It's all in this book. And the question for you and me is going to be this, this year, Will we step into this year with a mindset that says, I'm teachable, I'm receptive to what the Lord has for me, or will we say, I won't go? I won't go there. I don't need it. I know enough. I've got all that I need. I refuse to hear from the Lord or anybody else. I'm the captain of my ship. And guess what? How you answer that question punches your ticket. Are you at the Feast of Wisdom or are you at the Feast of Folly? You can say you want to be at the other, but that doesn't punch your ticket. The ticket gets punched by our attitude for how receptive we are to continue to grow and to step into things that are there. Now, one feast leads to life, one leads to death. And you can say, well, what does God want? Well, God makes it clear. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death. You can have this feast or you can have this feast. One is filled with blessing, one's filled with curse. Therefore, here's the Lord's heart. Choose life. Choose this table. The acknowledgement that says that I don't know everything. Choose to be receptive to what the Lord has for us, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life in the length of days. 
See, that thread comes back over and over and over again. Doesn't seem like such a difficult decision. Which feast do you want to be at? And yet you recognize that we don't get to choose the feast. We choose our attitude. And the attitude determines the feast we go to. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.